Welcome to the Washington Church Toledo Podcast. Together, we are learning to encourage one another to walk with God through cultivating a personal relationship with Jesus the Christ. This podcast consists of recordings from our Sunday morning worship services and other teaching events that you are more than welcome to come join us live. Hello, my name is Landon, and I'll be reading Luke chapter 24, 13 through 35 on the road to Emmaus. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was the prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition... Some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued as as if he was going on farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave things, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us as we, as, as while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what was happening what had happened on the way and how Jesus had recognized and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Good morning. Good to uh, be with you all this morning. Uh, We are going to be in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. So grab a Bible and open up with me as we look at that story. commonly called the road to Emmaus story. Before the, um, <clears throat> before, well, just, just so you all know, there's, uh, you're in the middle of a wedding right now, so welcome. Uh, w- welcome those who are, have come for the wedding. Um, it was easy to spot you because you came on time this morning. <laughs> and uh, that is not a normal thing for us at Washington Church, so... Um, maybe we can learn from you. <clears throat> uh, originally, when I laid out the, the plan of what to talk about, and I sit down with the Lord, and kind of, uh, we have conversations, and, 
and I just wait on him to tell me what to talk about. And, and originally, today's topic was going to be on fasting, because we're, we're going through uh, spiritual disciplines right now as a church community, because disciplines are a crucial part of how to hold um, and, and prepare ourselves to be used by the Lord. And after uh, walking with Steve and Natalie and setting this date, and, and at one point my wife's like, do you really think that's a good idea with uh, everybody else who's going to come? And I was like, hmm, that's a good question. Let me... Let me take that to prayer. Uh, and so I did, and very clearly, uh, I just said, all right, Lord, what, what do you, here's what I came up with, but Lord, what do you want me to talk about? And, and almost immediately, he said, I want you to talk about the road to Emmaus. And so I believe what we're going to go through this morning, uh, you guys are supposed to hear. Whether you're here for the wedding, or you're all here for the wedding, whether you're a guest of Washington Church and visiting for the first time, or you're people who are here every Sunday, I think this is uh, a word for us all. And then at the end, we're going to take communion. Um, you're welcome to join us. Anybody who's come is welcome to come to the table and, and celebrate um, the body and the blood of Christ. And there, there's stations here, and there's going to be two there, and there's going to be one there, and there's going to be one in the bal- balcony in the, in the back corner. Um, and we uh, will celebrate together. Um, but one of the things that came to me this week as I was reflecting on the Road to Emmaus story, uh, I was listening to somebody give a talk, and in the talk, he said this phrase, and as soon as he said it, I said, that's it. That's exactly what the Lord wants me to talk about. And so let me, let me read this scripture passage to you. This comes from Exodus thirty-three, thirteen. This is um, Moses speaking. He says this, If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. So this is a point <clears throat> where um, God has led his people out of captivity. They were in captivity and slavery in Egypt And God set them free and delivered them from slavery in Egypt, brings them out there at Mount Sinai, and that's the scene of the Ten Commandments. And then then there's this dialogue between Moses um, and God getting towards the end, and essentially what, what he says is, he says, show me your ways. Show me your ways. Because God, if you show me your way, then I'll understand what you're like. I'll understand your character, I'll understand how you function, I'll know you. And all of a sudden I realized it. If we can begin to understand the ways of God, we will know the will of God. Let me say, I'll put it up on the screen. The way of God reveals the will of God. Whether that's in your life, when you're walking like like Jason had Jana do, or whatever you're doing, whether you're reading the scriptures, the same, the same principle applies. I would encourage you as you get into the text this week in your own time with the Lord, keep that phrase in mind, the way of God reveals the will of God. So if I can un- begin to understand the ways of God, I can begin to understand God's will for my life and how God functions. And this is a great way to, especially if you're in the midst of a place, I, f- I feel like the Lord was telling me that there's going to be people here this morning who are in a place where they've walked away from faith, been frustrated with the Lord, um, they've looked at what, what Christianity has been like and they said, no, thank you. Um, yes, to all those things. I get those things. And, and I want to talk to that. At a point in my message, I, I'm, I'm going to kind of address that and, and the importance of, of how we get there and, and what God is inviting us to, uh, to move through that and to come back to him. Because God is always the Father waiting with open arms for us all. Always. That's who God is. No matter what we've done or, or who we think we are, not any of us are outside of the love of God. There's nothing you can do that takes you outside of that love. 
And so we're going to see uh, on this Road to Emmaus story, I'm going to invite you to join me, and we're going to do this message together. But I broke up this story, this Emmaus story, into sections. We're going, to, we're going to read a section, we're going to stop, and we're going to reflect on this truth that the way of God reveals the will of God. I'm going to, I'm going to ask you, in what way does this way of God reveal God's will in this section we just read? And we're going to begin to build an understanding and a healthier theology of what God is like and who God is. Right? Probably better than, than a lot of what most of us have, have been given. Okay, so we're on the road to Emmaus. Landon did a beautiful job. Thanks, Landon, for reading that. This, let me set the scene for us before we jump into this story. So what has taken place is there are followers. There's this, this man named Jesus, and he proclaimed to be God, and he was. And he, he had these followers. He had these disciples. He had these 12, and then eventually 12 grew to, to 72 and 150, and, and probably hundreds and hundreds of people were following. Men and women were following this man because he spoke truth. But then he was crucified. He was arrested, he was crucified, and he died. And so all of what seemed like this movement of, of God abruptly came to an end, a screeching halt. And and all those people didn't know what to do with it. They didn't know how to handle that hard situation. They didn't have a frame of reference or a lens through which to see through that would enable them to move forward. And so we're, we have this scene where most likely two people, Cleopas, probably a, a married couple. And what's interesting, if you go back to the crucifixion story in Luke, Cleopas, Mrs. Cleopas, is actually at the foot of the cross with Mary. So she was there to the very end. So we know it's, it's Mary's there. Um, the mother of Jesus, most likely Mary Magdalene, is standing at the foot of cross. Cleopas is there, and then, and then John is the only one who kind of stuck around from the disciples. And everybody else kind of scattered their own way because they didn't know how to handle what had just happened to them because they were decimated and, so, and utterly discouraged. And so the scene opens. They're walking to this village outside of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is where the crucifixion had happened. And so we, we pick it up there. It says this in Luke chapter 24, verse 14. They were, we were talking with each other about everything that had happened. So they're processing. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing them. Okay. So here they are. They're walking along. They're processing this, this brutally painful experience that they'd just gone through, and they don't know how to handle it. And so they're, they're, they're verbally processing with each other, and all of a sudden Jesus appears to them although they cannot recognize him, and he walks along. He joins them walking along, okay? So keep that in mind. So if that's the case, that's the story we have in the scriptures, in God's word, and we ask ourselves the question, if the will of God, or if the way of God reveals the will of God, then what is the way of God when it comes to hardships? What is God doing here? Because Jesus is God. What is God doing with this couple in the hardest part of their life? He's walking alongside them. He's coming alongside them and walking with them. How many times has the Lord come and walked alongside us in the hardest parts of our lives and we never knew it? That we didn't recognize it. Maybe it was our grief that held us in that place. Maybe it was the hardship of life that we couldn't see past. But nevertheless, God walked with us through it. And I want you to know that truth. It's important that we realize that truth because often in those times we feel alone and we feel like nobody understands us, nobody gets us, and we're in this on our own, but that's just not true. In those times, God is walking with us 
and he reveals himself like a stranger. There's many times where the Lord speaks to us through other people, through interactions, through the events of our lives, and we don't even recognize that it's the Lord speaking to us, maybe because we don't have a frame of reference for that, maybe because we haven't been taught that God actually talks to us and speaks to us and wants to be an active, vibrant part of our lives, but that's the case. That's the truth. There's this great author that my my wife loves, Paula D'Arcy, who says, God comes to us disguised as our life, oftentimes, which is absolutely true. And the one thing I want you to know this morning is that on the journey of life, you are never alone. But the Lord walks with you. In verse 17, we see that Jesus asks this question of them. What are you discussing together as you walk along? So Jesus asks this couple, what are you talking about? Well, here's an insight. Jesus knows the answer to that question, but he asks it anyway. So let me come back to that statement. If the way of God reveals the will of God, why does Jesus ask a question to people that he already knows the answer of? What is he doing with them? What do you guys think? Say again? He wants them to recognize it? Yeah. He's inviting them to engage in a process, right? So if, if, and and this is what we all want, myself included, we just want God, just tell me what to do. Right? How many of you guys feel that way? Just tell me. That's it? The rest of you guys don't feel that way? How many of you guys feel that way? God, just tell me what to do. Yes, of course. God, just tell me what to do. But if the way of God reveals the will of God, then what, does the will, what is the will of God for us? For us to wrestle through it, right? For us to be invited into the process. God, most of the time, God doesn't just tell us what to do. God gives us a prompt of what comes next, and he gives us an idea of what to do next. He's there with us, but he doesn't always give us the answers, because God is not a genie, nor is he a puppet master waiting to control us. God loves and honors you enough to allow you to have your own process, even if that process is not a healthy one. There's a great story in the scriptures in, in, in Mark chapter 10. I encourage you to read the story on your own. It's one of my favorite stories. It's the story of blind Bartimaeus. It's a blind man who's standing on the side of the road, okay? Let me emphasize that again. A blind man on the side of the road. Jesus walks by and he calls out to him and he says, Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David was a title for the Messiah. So this blind guy sees who Jesus is. You've got to love the gospel, right? I mean, it's so good. It's so good. And all the religious people who can see can't see who Jesus is. But the blind guy can. And the blind guy calls out to Jesus and he says, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stops, because this is what God is like. He turns to him and he says, Come, come here. Bring him over here. And so he comes over. This blind guy, he walks right up to Jesus, the Messiah, who this blind man called out to him because he believes that this Son of God, this Messiah, can heal him. And, and give him sight, because Jesus has done it so many times over and continues to do it today. And Jesus asks him the question, what do you want me to do for you? That seems like a dumb question, doesn't it, to a blind guy? Why does Jesus ask that question? Because he, he wants to engage us. So he engages Bartimaeus, what do you want? What's at your heart's desire? 
And he asks to be healed. Would you heal me of my, of my blindness? And Jesus says, you're healed. And Bartimaeus gets, gets healed of, of his sight. So he regains his sight. So, I, but I love this interaction. Jesus asks this question of, of the people on the road to Emmaus in the same way he asks Bartimaeus. And, and this is how God seems to operate. Did you know that Jesus was asked 134 questions? And if you go through the New Testament, Jesus is asked 134 questions. Guess how many questions he answers? Three. Why do you think that is? Because if, if God just tells us, then we don't own it ourselves. There's a process that the Lord wants us to go through to wrestle with him and come to things partnering with him on our own. I do this to people a lot and they get annoyed at me. They'll come to me and ask me theological questions and I'll ask them a question. And they'll, sometimes people will say, well, you're skirting the answer. And I'll say, actually, no, I'm trying to be like Jesus. Because if I just tell you the answer, you won't get it. But if we wrestle together, then you'll own it and it'll change you. And that's, that's the will of God for us to wrestle and be transformed and changed. Verse 21, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. Okay, again, the way of God reveals the will of God. So what they're essentially saying is, is there's a stirring. Jesus hung on the cross, and then all of a sudden, there's people who went to the tomb, and he wasn't there, and they're trying to wrestle through this in the, in the darkest, deepest places. And I know oftentimes when we're in those places, some of the greatest transformation of our lives takes place in those lowest places. Nobody wants to go there because it's lame. But it's some of the greatest transformation takes place in those hardships, in those frustrating places, in those, it, God, it doesn't seem like you're here type places. And so they'd heard murmurings that, that Jesus' body was no longer there, but they just assumed what everybody else assumed, and that was they took his body somewhere else. But here's the thing. Jesus actually told them many times what would happen to him. They told them that he would be arrested. They, he told them that, that he would be handed over and he would die and then he would rise again on the third day. But they didn't have a framework for that in their minds. Although they heard the stories of Jesus raising people from the dead, they'd never seen such, such a brutal death and they, they didn't possibly think that anybody could come back from that. And so they're wrestling with that. But with Luke, one of the things that's important is there's symbolism that's going on here. See, they're walking away from Jerusalem towards Emmaus. It's a seven and a half mile journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus. It's a good jaunt in a day. And Jerusalem was the place, though, where God's presence dwelled. It was a place where the temple was. It was a place where you went to be forgiven. It was a place where you, you went to have your animal sacrifices. It was the place where you were reminded that God is with us and God is for us. And they're walking away from that. Because it was also the place of decimation and discouragement and despair for them now. And so those two coexisting things are, are there, but they're trying to figure out what to do. 
And Emmaus actually in the Greek means like a bathhouse. Apparently in Emmaus there were, there were hot springs and you'd go and you'd soak in the hot springs. Okay? <clears throat> so what else do you do when life sucks? You know, you go take care, you find a spa. Yeah. No different then than it is now. It's just, you know, a mani-pedi and a spa treatment and hopefully you can get over whatever the hardship you have and you're going through. But they're going away. They're going away from where everything had happened and where everything was about to happen because they didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to process. They didn't know how to function. They didn't know how to be. But they were unable to recognize that their view of God and integrate integrate the crucifixion of this God in their understanding of faith. Because his body was not there, is what they were told. What do we do when God lets us down? So this is the part of the sermon that is going to step on toes and be hard to hear, but I think we need to hear this. This is where it takes us a little bit deeper, but also gives us hope. I say this in all love. Most of the expectations we have of God are, are oftentimes wrong, which leads to disappointment and discouragement. <clears throat> Not because God is wrong, it's because our understanding of what we thought God should be like was wrong. And we come by these honestly. The church gives it to us. The church gives us Sunday school answers, and those Sunday school answers don't carry us through the hardships of life. But a lot of things that we believe that are promised to us, the scriptures never promise to us. And I can tell you I've walked with many people through hardships of life and that there's a mentality about, well, I gave my life to Christ, I, I checked all the boxes, I show up on Sunday at church, I, I read my Bible, and yet I, this is happening to me. And that just doesn't seem right or fair. Or I'm unable for this to happen, or, or I'm unable for that to happen, or there's frustrations here, or I lost my job, and, and God, what, this is, where are you in this? This is not right or not fair. In the meantime, in the scriptures, God never promised you any of those things. But we, we inherit those through culture. We inherit those through our families. We inherit those through unhealthy theological teachings and churches and other places and, and books we read. And that's just the reality of things. But we have to come to a realization that our faith has to shift and change. Actually, our understanding. It's the understanding of your faith that we will be challenged and torn down and re- rebuilt many times over. It's what's happening to them on this road, on this walk, in that moment. It's not the faith that's flawed. It's the mentality and understanding of it. They were creating a theology of misunderstanding based on their preconceived experiences. We do this all the time. It's not healthy or biblical, but we do it. We have to be careful not to form our theology around our preconceived notions instead of around truth. They also created their theology in the midst of a partial fulfillment. Now track with me on this. Because we do this. I do this. When you decide what God is like in the midst of the storm, your theology is going to look one way. But if you come to your understanding of what God is like when you get to the other side of the lake, after the storm, your theology is going to look differently, isn't it? Are you guys with me in this? This is important. I want us to get this. This is really crucial. Both of those are true. The storm is true and the other side of the storm are true. But what is the greater truth that we need to hold in front of us and hang on to when we go through the storm? 
Because if we never, if we give up halfway through the storm, we won't see the greatness and the glory of God at hand in our lives. Amen? But those storms form us and shape us, and they're a part of our lives. And so they belong and they fit as well. And we have to find place for them. Our initial understandings and views of God and Jesus will and must fail us at different times in our lives in order for us to see the risen Christ. If I I came to know Christ, I gave my life to Jesus when I was six years old. If my framework of who God was at six is still my framework today, I wouldn't be walking with the Lord. It wouldn't have lasted. There's been several times where I've had the privilege of sitting in with, with, with people in their lives and walking with them through the hardships. I can remember when I was young and I was an intern here at this church and my mentor, who was a senior pastor before me, and he would receive missionaries who were, as college students, were here and a part of this vibrant culture and, and grew up in this. And they were also connected to, to ministries that they were sent out with. And after two years, three years, four years on the missionary field, they would come back and we'd be sitting in his living room. And they would say to him, what we were given doesn't work anymore. We're burned out. We can't keep going. We've gotten to the end of everything we were taught and nothing seems to be working anymore. And then this pause, and I would think to myself, oh man, what's going to happen next? And then he would quietly say, good. And those of you who know him know, because he said that to you as well at some point. Because what he's trying to say to them and what I think the Lord is trying to say to us is, yeah, it has to die to be reborn over and over and over again. But if we get stuck in a rut and we, we are not willing to surrender our understanding of who God is and who Jesus is time and time again, then we will find ourselves intimately frustrated and just continue on in a cyclical loop and be frustrated and frustrated and then all of a sudden it's God and not us. And so we have to surrender our old views in order to embrace new views. That's exactly what Cleopas and his wife had to do on the road to Emmaus. Otherwise, they would have kept walking to Emmaus, and they would have stayed there and walked back to wherever they were from and never would have returned to Jerusalem to experience the coming of the Spirit of God and the transformation of of this world as we know it. And so there has to be a place for that. Each of us will undergo several crucifixions and resurrections in our life if we remain faithful to God and walk long enough. It is the only way for God to provide new ways to reveal himself to you. So if the ways of God reveal the will of God, then God is at home with us not being okay all the time. With us experiencing hardship, he's okay with the frustrations and the struggle and the deepest, darkest moments and the death before the resurrection. But all we seem to desire is to be removed from those hardships. But, we, but, we, but when we begin to see the, those hardships play in a, a crucial role in the formation of who we are and our understanding of who God is, because God doesn't change, but we have to change, that we begin to see the way forward. We begin to see the other side of the lake, and the end of the storm will come, because it will always come. And God will always be with us in it. Verse 25, he said to them, this is Jesus talking, how foolish you are. And how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and even enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. 
man, this is, this is one of the moments where you read about the, the person of Jesus. You're like, man, Jesus slash stranger, take it easy. You're kind of harsh. But then he comes alongside of them, and what he does is he teaches them. He teaches them what they need to know. So if the way of God reveals the will of God, what does God do for us when they're in those hard spaces if we have ears to hear? What does God do? He speaks. He teaches. He shows us. This is the character of God. Because the will of God reveals the character of God, which eventually reveals the glory of God if we, hang, if we stay in it long enough. So this is God's desire to reveal these things to us. It is God's desire to reveal his will to you. Listen to what John says in John 15. These are the words of Jesus. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. Jesus says we're friends if we have a relationship with him. And friends, you let your friends know what's going on in your life. You share your hardships with your friends. You share the truths you learn with your friends. It's exactly what Jesus says that he wants to do with us and through us and for us. That doesn't mean that everything's going to be fine and okay. It just means he gives us what we need to make it through. And each hardship and each challenge presents new opportunities to grow and deepen in our understanding of God and our reliance on God. And if you've lived that out, you know that that's true. Another verse I think is important to to highlight in this truth is is Luke 12, 32. It's also Jesus speaking. He says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Not only does God want to share his will with you, but God wants to give you the kingdom, to be active participants in it. But I'll tell you this, God will not give you more of his understanding and his will than you can handle. That would actually be mean of him, cruel of him to do. He gives you what you can handle, and he gives you what you desire. So if you desire more of the Lord, ask. You want to be used more by God, ask. Position yourself in a place where you can receive what God has for you, but know that that receiving comes with a weight, and often with trials, and often with hardships. Those things go hand in hand. There's no, there's no matrix where we just plug in and we say, I want to learn how to fly a helicopter, download it right now, and boom, you're good, and away you go. I wish it were that way. Spencer wishes it that way. He's with me. But it's not the Neo thing. It doesn't work that way. The way to more is the road to Emmaus experiences. And some of you guys are walking that road this morning, and the Lord is with you in it. God wants us to know his will and his desire. But a lot of that truth comes to us, comes beside us as truth in the secret and reveals truth to us sometimes when we don't even realize it. And the Lord wants to guide you and lead you, not take you by the hand and drag you forward, but partner with you. Verse 24, verse 28 As they were approaching the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. This is fascinating. I I sat with this for a while, and I was puzzled by it until I remembered 
Uh, a great way to understand the scriptures, if you ever get caught in a place where you don't understand what the scriptures are saying or what, what you think it, they mean, try and find someplace else in the scriptures where there's something similar that happens that can give you revelation. So they're, they're approaching Emmaus, the, where, where uh, Cleopas and his wife are about to stop and, and, and get off the expressway at this point. And, and, and so they start to, to veer off. There's probably a main road that r- run through that artery. It was probably a trade route. And they're probably turning off that road to go down a smaller road to the village. And it seems like Jesus is going to keep walking. They don't know it's Jesus. It's just, again, the stranger who just blew their minds because he revealed to them from Moses to the prophets uh, what the Messiah was supposed to be. If, if I could go back to one of the places in, in the scriptures in history, that's one of the spots I'd want to visit. Okay? Where Jesus literally opens their minds and teaches them all about Moses and the prophets and the Messiah and how those are all interconnected. And so he did that. So they knew this person wasn't normal. They had to have at that point. And, and they reflect back later and they say, man, there's something stirring in us when he was speaking to us. And Jesus seems to, to like be good with like, hey, I'm just going to keep going. And they're, they're wanting him to, to join him. So the fact that Jesus was wanting to keep going, and if the way of God reveals the will of God, what does this moment tell us about God's will? This is a harder one. What's that? What do you mean it keeps going? What do you mean it's going to happen? He wants us to, okay, he wants us to ask to join him. That could be, yeah. What else? What's another story in which Jesus intended to walk on by? The boat. Very good. Thank you. So there's a storm that the disciples are in, right? How many of you guys know this story? The disciples are in a boat. Okay, for those of you who don't know it, here's the, the quick version of it. The disciples are in a boat. Jesus told them, go to the other side. So they, get, they go to the other side. Of the, I think this is after the feeding of the 10,000 people. Jesus is like, hey, I'm going to go hang out with the Father. I'll, I'll meet you on the other side, which probably was weird to them. They're like, I don't know how you're going to get there. Maybe you'll take the next boat. And so they, they jump in the boat, and they go. And on the way over, this is the Sea of Galilee. It's, not, it's 12 miles, 9 to 12 miles long, 6 miles wide. Okay, Think about that, 6 miles wide. They get in this storm. They're freaking out. They don't know what to do. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes cruising up. Or what they, they don't know it's Jesus, similar to Emmaus, right? They think it's a ghost. They don't recognize him at first, but because why would a human being be walking on water? That doesn't make any sense. Again, having to reframe their understanding of who God was. So Jesus is walking on water. They're probably at least halfway, I, I would imagine they're three quarters of a way. So we're talking anywhere from from four miles to approximately six miles on the water. That's how far Jesus walked on water. We, we don't get that, but that six miles. It's not like he cruised out a little ways and he came back. Like six miles. And so he's walking. And the text said he intended to walk by. Right? You with me? Those of you who know, who know the passage? What is the fact that Jesus intended to walk by during the midst of this crazy storm? They think they're all going to die Walk it on by, tell us about the will of God and the way of God. What did Jesus say to them before they left for the other side? Get in the boat, you're going to go to the other side, right? You with me? So if God tells you 
get in the boat, you're going to go to the other side. What, what does that mean is going to happen? He knew they could make it to the other side, right? You're tracking with me? The storm came. They freaked out. If he thought he was going to walk on by because they, they, he believed they had what they needed to make it to the other side, right? Because he gave it to them. He didn't instilled it into them. He taught them. He showed them. So there's a moment for us as followers of Jesus where, where Jesus goes, all right, you can do it. He sends the 12 out to heal people, sickness, to heal, to heal people from infirmities, to cast demonic things out. That must have been a wild ride. Then he sends out even, even more people to do it. Why? Because he's equipped them. He's given them what they need. There's a point in time where the Lord has given us what we need, and now we need to do it. And the storm will come. Why? Because not everybody wants what you're about to do to happen. But God believes in you that you can do it. Otherwise, he wouldn't have kept walking. It's important that we get that when we're in the midst of the hardships of our lives, that God has spoken to you and given to you what you need, and he also comes alongside of you, but there's a moment where you've got to step out in faith and do it on your own. And that's part of the journey of faith. So they get to the place. He, he decides to come with them. Um, 24, 30 31, we see the story where they gather together. Go ahead and go to that slide. And they're, they're in the house together, Cleopas, and he joins them. It says, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Here's the beautiful thing about the way of God being the will of God. God can take ordinary things... And after he blesses them, they're no longer ordinary things anymore. Right? Jesus does this with the feeding of the 10,000 and then the, the 7,000. He does it right here and he breaks it. And as soon as he breaks it, their eyes are open somehow. So there's a direct correlation between this, this expression of bread and, and gathering around the meal and, and the power of God coming upon them. And then all of a sudden, they, there's a recognition of, of who Jesus is. And in that moment, he he vanishes from their sight. It's a beautiful thing. The church has given these, these, what we call sacraments, to partake in, but there's something about them that we need to recognize when we come to the table. It's not just bread and cup because it's been blessed. There's something about it. When we commit ourselves and, and, we, and we go into the water for baptism, we're not just going into the water for baptism. There's something happening there. When we lay hands on people as the Lord asks of us, Things happen there. Why? Because the Lord has asked us to do those things, and so he's blessed those things. And when, we, when we partake in those things, there's a shift that happens in us, and that God knew from time to time we would need that. So even this morning as we come for the bread and the cup, it's important that we realize, man, this is not just bread and this is not just cup. We're taking into us the memory of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ and that we're made right with the Lord. And through the body and the blood of Christ, broken and, and his blood shed for us, we, were made whole, we are made whole and invited into a relationship with the Lord. And then finally, at the end of the story, we see that they, they go. They can't, 
Go ahead and, and, and put the last slide up. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. Seven and a half miles. Seven and a half miles back. It's a long day. Over a half marathon. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. When you have an encounter with God, you cannot stay the same. And you cannot stay in the place that you're at. You have to move. The presence of God is in you. It creates a movement in you. And that movement cannot be shut down or or laid dormant. It's invited to be expressed and to live out. And that's the ultimate call. That's the ultimate invitation. It's great that we gather. It's great that we learn about the scriptures. It's great we read the story together. We take communion. Today's special. We have a wedding, which is awesome. But at the end of the day, we got to go from here and live out our faith. And if we don't, what's the point? Because if we're not living a faith that's vibrant and happening, it's not always that way, and I get it, but it should be that way more than not that way. And the Spirit should be leading us into what we're doing and giving us insight and, and guiding us along the way. And as we do that, we're taking risks and stepping out. But if we don't do that, we begin to, in the Christian life, there's no standing still. You're moving forward or you're slowly moving backwards. And most of the time, the, the people that I run into that are frustrated with Christians um, of what they see are the Christians that aren't moving forward and vibrant and living out of their faith are the ones who are, who are crotchety and, and angry and moving backwards. And oftentimes they join in or they say, well, I don't want to ha- have anything to do with this. Why would I want to be like them? And I'm with you. I wouldn't want to be like them either. But also when we're in that pattern where we begin to choose other things over the Lord, again, we don't stand still. We slowly go this way. And as we slowly go this way, We find ourselves in the storm, and now in the storm, we find ourselves annoyed and angry because God seems like isn't with us, or things aren't going the way we're going, or we're saying, why, I don't deserve this, when when maybe that storm is to wake you up and to put you back on track in the way you want to go. So so here's here's the good news. If you're going backwards, the Lord is with you, and and God brings a storm to right you and and to, to turn you around and head you in the right direction. If you're on fire for the Lord, the Lord brings you storms also to empower you and to train you and to, to, to teach you how to hold more of his presence in your life. So either path, there's a storm. The only difference is how you're going to respond to that and how you're going to see what the invitation of God is for you in that. This morning as we come to the table, my prayer is that you don't just come as you've come in the past, that you would come with new eyes. You come with a greater realization of who God is and what God is inviting us into. I'm going to ask the communion servers if you'd go and and, uh, stand at the stations to serve. There's going to be two people at each of the stations to serve us this morning. And again, there's going to be one in the balcony in the back, in that back corner. And uh, they're going to speak to you words of truth as you come forward and you receive and you partake. Um. I figured, I forgot to find somebody to serve in that spot. Can two people jump up and and serve there? Sorry, it's been a busy morning, but I think we're good. We have plenty of people willing to do it. But as you come forward, you partake in the body and the blood of Christ, and you're reminded of what God has done for you and how much the Lord loves you. That's what communion is about. It's the reminder of the sacrifice, but it's also a reminder of the love of God. And so when Jesus was with his disciples, he took bread and he broke it, and he said, this is my body broken for you. 
And he passed it around and he gave it to them to partake in. And likewise, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. It is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. And so as we come to the table, hold that truth in you. That you're taking in the body and the blood of Christ. You're taking in newness of life. You're taking in redemption. You're taking in forgiveness. But before you come to the table, take a moment with the Lord, even right now, and talk to, talk to God about where you're at in that journey. Maybe you're, this morning, maybe you're at a point where you feel like you've walked away from your faith or, or faith hasn't been a priority for you or you've been frustrated in what's going on, and that's okay. Hold that up. Just share that with God. God, I've been frustrated. God, I don't, I don't know what to do. I've been discouraged by work, by life, by loss, by whatever it is. Would you renew me? Would you encourage me? Would you show me where you are in my life? And maybe you're, you're journeying on the way back to Jerusalem in life right now, and you're excited and you're passionate about following Jesus. And likewise, thank him for that. Thank him for bringing you to that place. Thank him for how much he loves you. Ask to be used more. Say, Lord, here I am. Would you use me? Would you reveal more of yourself to me? Would you give me more weight to carry? Because I want to serve you in a deeper and more intimate way. Thanks for listening. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at office at washingtonchurch.org or go to our website, washingtonchurch.org.